Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh, and I may take you, make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me back to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, see to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham his master and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took 10 of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor, Nahar. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of the evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant my, me success today. Show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I'm standing by the spring of water and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink and who shall say, drink and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this, I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born of Beth Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out to her with water on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had shown. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, please give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, drink, my Lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water and she drew for all his camels. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for her arms weighing 10 gold shekels and said, please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She said to him, I'm the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahar. She added, we have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. The man bowed his head and worshiped the Lord and said, Blessed be to the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love of his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsmen. Then the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. Rebekah had a brother whose name was Laban. Laban ran out toward the man to the spring. As soon as he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms, he heard the words of Rebekah, his sister. Thus the man spoke to me. He went to the man, and behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. He said, Come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? 
for I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. So the man came to the house and unharnessed the camels and gave straw and fodder to the camels. And there was water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. Then food was set before him to eat. But he said, I will not eat until I have said what I have to say. He said, speak on. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master and he has become great. He has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male servants and female servants, camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old. And to him he has given all that he has. My master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, in whose land I dwell, but you shall go to my father's house and to my clan and take a wife for my son. I said to my master, Perhaps the woman will not follow me. But he said to me, The Lord before whom I have walked will send his angel with you and prosper your way. You shall take a wife for my son from my clan and from my father's house. Then you will be free from my oath when you come to my clan. And if they will not give her to you, you will be free from my oath. I came today to the spring and said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, if now you are prospering the way that I go, behold, I am standing by the spring of water. Let the virgin who comes out to draw water, to whom I shall say, please give me a little water from your jar to drink, and who will say to me, drink, and I will drink for your camels also. I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. Before I had finished speaking in my heart, behold, Rebekah came out with her water jar on her shoulder, and she went down to the spring and drew water. I said to her, please let me drink. She quickly let down her jar from her shoulder and said, drink, and I will give your camels drink also. So I drank, and she gave the camels drink also. Then I asked her, whose daughter are you? She said, the daughter of Bethuel, Nahar's son, whom Milcah bore to him. So I put the ring on her nose and the bracelets on her arms. Then I bowed my head and worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who, who had led me by the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for her son. Now then, if you are going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me. If not, tell me, that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak you bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go, and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. When Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord. And the servant brought out jewelry of silver and gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave to her brother and to her mother costly ornaments. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank, and they spent the night there. When they rose in the morning, he said, send me away to my master. Her brother and her mother said, let the young woman remain with us a while, at least 10 days. After that, she may go. But he said to them, Do not delay me, since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I might go to my master. They said, Let us call the young woman and ask her. And they called Rebekah, and she said, Will you go with this man? She said, I will go. So they sent away Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant, and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring possess the gate to those who hate him. Then Rebekah and her young women arose and rode on camels and followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebekah and went his way. Now Isaac had returned from Beer Lahai Roy, 
and was dwelling in Negev. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things he had done. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. So this morning we're going to be talking about the benefits of arranged marriage and why that's what we recommend here at Cross Point Community Church. Kidding, of course. Thank you, Janie. How about a round of applause for Janie for reading that whole chapter? Just want to just go on record and say that was Ron and Lance's idea to read the whole chapter this morning. So uh, thank y'all for listening to that. It's such a it's such a crazy story. Um, I don't know when I first read this story preparing to preach, I thought, man, at first glance, this just seems like historical. I mean, just, it just seems like a, the author just telling us how part of, part of the story of how the nation of Israel came to be. Um, and didn't, on first glance, seem like there was a whole lot to really learn from that. It's just kind of, here's what happened. Um, but then after pressing into it, there's actually a lot here for us to glean from. So... Um, I'm going to make two observations. We're going to spend just about five or six minutes on the first one and then the rest of our time on the second one. Just two things we observe um, about God and about ourselves in this narrative. And the first one is this. It's pretty simple. It's just that we are responsible to equip the next generation to engage God's mission. That we're responsible to equip the next generation to engage God's mission. You guys recall back in Genesis 12, God had revealed his mission to Abraham. He said, Abraham, this is my mission, and and you play a key part. He said, I'm gonna bless you, and I'm gonna make your name great. He tells him that you're gonna, your children are gonna be like the stars in the sky or the sands of the sea, that you're gonna be a multitude of nations is gonna come from you. You are gonna have many, many, many offspring, and then through you, through your family, all of the rest of the earth, all the nations, all the ends of the earth will be blessed. So he, he let Abraham in on God's mission. God had this mission that he's going to bless the entire world through Abraham and his offspring. And so if Abraham is going to equip Isaac for this, to carry on this mission, it's pretty simple, right? Isaac is going to have a hard time having descendants that are as numerous as the stars in the sky and blessing the nation through his descendants without a good wife, Right? It's not going to happen without that. So one of the things Abraham did before he died is he made sure to secure for his son a wife. For him, that was really simple, but there's a lot of practical implications of that same idea for us, right? Just like Abraham did everything he could to help Isaac fulfill the mission God had given him, we in this room, those of us who are adults, part of our job is to equip the next generation to complete the mission that God has given the church. And so let me just start by challenging parents on this a little bit. Um, I think we could all agree we've come a long way since arranged marriages, right? I mean, most of you guys, that's probably not something you're planning right now. Um, But I think it is something to think about from a Christian worldview. 
And if we're to operate our lives and center our lives around what Scripture teaches and everything Scripture teaches about the role of parents and children and our role as parents in shepherding our children, let me just ask you this. If you were to erase all of the cultural norms that you know right now, what do you think Scripture would say about your role as parents in regards to choosing, helping your children choose a spouse for themselves? I think it's a question many of us have never really considered. What would, what would the biblical principles say? What would a Christian worldview say about our role as parents when our kids are teenagers, young adults, and are looking to marry? I'm not, I'm not here to stand up here and say, let's, let's go back to this, right, with the arranged marriage. But I think a lot of times the mentality we kind of fall into is this, is that maybe some of us, or maybe you've heard people talk about this, about praying for the spouse of your child, right, that you... You, might, you may have or may have heard of others who've spent time praying for the person that their child is going to marry. But often it stops there, right? Now, Abraham took it to an extreme. He not only prayed about it, but he just went and found someone, right? But I wonder if there's more of a role we can play than what our cultural, our cultural norms typically say, right? I would think that as parents, we would want to play a role, an active role, not just in praying for the spouse of our children, but talking to them and being involved as they begin to date and get into relationships, right? And um, teenagers, let me just say this right now, I'm sorry, right? This is gonna cause problems for you later. But think about it really like, wouldn't it be very unwise for you as a teenager to completely disregard what your parents say about who you should and shouldn't be dating. But how would that mentality, that, that this idea of, no, that, that, that's my thing, like, like this idea of for parents to just say, I'm gonna pray for my kids, but really that's up to them and just kind of take a hands-off approach that doesn't really fit with the teachings of scripture and what our responsibility is, that as parents, we gotta be telling our teenagers and those who are older, those who are of the age to start dating and looking for a spouse, we gotta be talking to them about finding for themselves a life partner who's going to help them walk in and engage the mission God has called them to. It's the approach Abraham had, right? If, if this is God's mission to, for Isaac's descendants to be as numerous as the stars in the sky, to bless the world through him, he's gonna need a wife that knows and loves the Lord and is kind and generous and can be a light to all nations. Guys, obviously the, uh, the application extends beyond that specific idea. I mean, we talk about that in general, about why we have kids in the service at Crosspoint. We really do value that. It's the reason we, we bring kids into the, service, into the service with us at such a young age is because we want to reinforce the idea and remind ourselves that on Sunday mornings, this isn't just about me as an individual and my worship experience. It's about us and part of my role in that is to equip and train the next generation to engage God's mission. So that's the first kind of immediate thing we see from this story. The second thing we see from it is just the idea that God is a very, very, very good shepherd. So one of the coolest things about this story to me is that even though if you, if you were to read the whole story, and you just did, um, you would see that that God does never, there's no part in this whole chapter where God is credited with any specific action or intervention. 
The whole time it's a story of what Abraham is doing and what his servant is doing and Rebecca and her parents, but never at any point do we see God directly credited with doing anything in this story. And even though he's never directly credited for that, it's so clear that God was guiding the whole thing, isn't it? I mean, isn't it obvious when you read that story that God's hand was in every bit of it, that he was sovereignly orchestrating all this and guiding it behind the scenes. We might say it this way, that his invisible hand is clearly seen in the story, right? That even though it's his hand and his working is invisible, it's clear that he was behind all this. I mean, if you think about it, it would, uh, it would be kind of absurd for Abraham's servant to have accomplished this without God's hand. One of the ways um, commentator Alan P. Ross said it like this, he said, it reports the hidden causality of God sovereignly working through the circumstances of those who are acting in faith. And we believe that, right? As Christians, we believe that God's hand is in everything, that God is the hidden causality behind everything that we're doing, that we are to act in faithfulness and trust that in his sovereignty, he's working all things together for his glory and our good. And that like a good shepherd, God is watching and sovereignly guiding all of it. So I want us to consider four things that God provides as a good shepherd. And the first one is that he provides potential. So I want you to imagine the potential success in this story had God not been involved in it, right? Imagine how this story would have gone without divine intervention. Look at Genesis 24, verse five. Look at how the whole thing begins. Abraham tells him, go, go, go off to a different country and find a wife for my servant, and then the, or for my son. And then his servant asks what to me is like a very obvious question in verse five. He says this, the servant said to him, perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. <laughs> I mean, can imagine the servant like here's Abraham Abraham says I want you to go away and bring back a wife for my son he's like oh yeah that that's great I'll, I'll be glad to do that but just hypothetically I'm sure this isn't gonna happen but what if I do walk up to a random woman I've never met before and tell her that you sent me to bring her back as a wife for your son and, and, and she says no it's probably not gonna happen right I mean, it's crazy that this worked, right? That this plan of his like actually came to fruition. God had to be in this for it to work. And even, even when he goes up to Laban, her brother, Rebecca's brother and Rebecca's dad, however you say his name. And when he goes up to those two and he tells them the story, it's like he tells them, he tells them that he knew all that was gonna happen after the fact, right? I mean, he basically tells them the story. It's like, hey, here's what happened. I, I, I walked up and... Um, I was asking for God to show me someone to give me a drink, give my camels a drink too, and, and, and Rebecca did it. And of course, all this had already happened, right? But he said, but I, but I knew it was gonna happen, and so she must be the one. God's must, hand must be in this. And sure enough, they go, hey, you're right. <laughs> Obviously, this was the hand of the Lord, right? That'd be, like, that'd be like if tomorrow morning, some guy walked into the YMCA looking for a wife for himself, right? Because we don't do a range anymore. So he comes in, he feels like it's time to get married and he prays, God, I'm gonna walk into the YMCA. I'm gonna ask one of the women there for a drink of water. And if she offers me a drink and tells me to keep the bottle for myself, I'm gonna take that as a sign she's the one I wanna marry, right? So the guy walks in, 
He sees a woman walk in that he likes, and he goes, hey, um, I left my water bottle at home. Would you, would you give me a drink? And she said, oh, yeah, sure, I've got two water bottles. You can have this one. He goes, well, okay, you're not going to believe this. Before I came in here, I prayed that the person who offered me a bottle of the water, that that would be the one God wants me to marry. So I'm pretty sure God wants us to get married now. And she were to go, well, how can I, how can I dispute that? Obviously, this is from the Lord, right? I mean, that, that's, that's the equivalent to what played out here. So obviously, God's hand was in this, or it would have never worked, right? I mean, it's crazy to think that Abraham's servant could accomplish this goal without God's hand. And the reality is, guys, that when we talk about engaging God's mission, you and I are in the exact same boat. When it comes to evangelism, to telling others about Jesus, to taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, what God has basically told us to do is go up to blind people and make them see. To go up to people who are spiritually dead, who have no knowledge and no love and no interest in Jesus, explain the gospel to them in hopes that a dead person would come to life. That when it comes to engaging God's mission, we are just as dependent on God as Abraham's servant was in this story that we have no hope of accomplishing the real mission God has given us in the church. But we do have that potential because God provides it for us as his shepherd because we believe as we do that, God is working behind the scenes, drawing men to himself in a supernatural way that you and I could never accomplish on our own. Second thing he gives us as our good shepherd is he gives us protection, right? That's something we often associate with shepherding is someone who protects. One of the most memorized Psalms in our scripture is Psalm 23 and verse four says this, even though I walk through the shadow, the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So we don't, a lot of us don't have sheep in here. Um, so the idea of shepherding is probably not a, not a real common illustration. But I thought about what's another animal that's pretty common for everyone to have that we're used to taking care of. And, um, and then I thought that would be kind of boring. So I came up with our example. So this is, I want you to introduce you to our newest member of the Martin household. This is Pickett. He's a rabbit that we just got. Funny story about Pickett. Um, I told my kids that if they would set the table for two weeks straight without being reminded they could get a pet. And when I made that promise, I had not clearly thought through the consequences of what would happen if they actually came through with that. And they did. And so here's Pickett. Um, so Pickett's a, a little rabbit. And um, I've been trying to teach my kids about taking care of Pickett because when we take him out in our yard, you can kind of see that blue shed in the background. There's this little, little like entrance to there where he could climb in under that shed. And if, if Pickett were to get in there, even on his leash, the leash would get tangled up and we'd get caught. And there would be, that would probably be the end of Pickett, okay? Um, I have no clue what's living under that shed, but it's probably things that would like to have Pickett for dinner. Um, and so, but the idea is like when, as, as someone who's guiding Pickett, we're trying to teach our kids, like part of your job as Pickett's shepherd, right, is to, is to protect him, right? Is to keep him from getting into a situation that's going to result in his ultimate peril. But we're also trying to teach, you know, teach him part of shepherding is letting him fail. You got to give him some freedom. You don't want to constantly tell him exactly where to go all the time with that leash. But you have to be ready before he steps off a, a point of no return, even if you have to hurt him a little bit to pull him back, right? 
And I thought about how similar that is to the way that God shepherds us. Because here's the deal, I think, when we think about God protecting us, I think in our flesh, we immediately go to physical things, right? We think that, yeah, I know that no matter what happens, God's going to protect me. And by protect, a lot of times we think about financially, right? Or maybe physically, our lives. But when we speak in biblical terms about God's protection, God actually does not guarantee that type of protection for us, right? That's why we have martyrs, right? That when God talks about protecting us, he's talking about something very much deeper than that. He's talking about the very eternity of our souls. And when we talk about God protecting us, it means that God is gonna keep us, those of us who are trusting and believing in Jesus, he's gonna keep us from going to that point of no return, that we can trust that God is going to keep us in his will, in his faith, if we cling to and trust in Jesus. Philippians 1, 6 says it this way, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I saw, I was buying some, um, I was buying some uh, food for Pickett up at a tractor supply, and I saw this sign, I thought it was really cool, and it said, we don't, um, what did it say? It said, we don't use our children to help raise pets, we use our pets to help raise our children. And I thought, that, that's cool, you know, that, that's kind of part of the reason I was kind of glad when our kids accomplish this goal is because I want them to have a pet to kind of learn responsibility kind of as a tool to raise them, and so when I'm talking about protection, even though I know it's probably not gonna happen, one of the things I talked about to Jackson was the idea of protecting someone smaller and, and less capable than you. And I always talk about like, man, if there's, there's these hawks in our neighborhood, right? They're sitting up on power lines and you can tell when we're outside walking picket, man, they're, they're watching them like a, well, so, so they're up there, they're, they're watching picket, they've got their eye on them, right? And I'm telling Jackson like, look, man, if one of those hawks comes down, if it gets a hold of Pickett, he's going to be done, right? That's going to be the end of Pickett. But if that hawk comes down, you've got to take on that hawk, right? I mean, it may scratch you and it may bite you, but ultimately, you're going to recover. You would recover from that. Pickett would not. That would be the end of Pickett, right? Now, let me just bridge that gap a little for that illustration. Think about what Jesus has done for us as our shepherd, as our protector. He stepped in and took the blow that would have completely ended us, right? Had Jesus left us in our sin, the punishment from that would have destroyed us to a point of no return. But Jesus being love and being kind and looking after our well-being, step in, took the blow that ultimately he could recover from, a blow that we could not have recovered from to give us life. That's what makes God our good shepherd because he lays his life down for his sheep. He puts himself in harm's way to protect our very souls. The third thing God is, is our good shepherd. The third thing he gives us is freedom. Now we've got, we've got four things that start with P here and I don't wanna break that. So, so freedom, we're gonna spell it like that. We gotta keep the theme going here. I want you to look at the servant's prayer in Genesis 24, 15. 24, 15, it says this. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her jar of water on her shoulder. 
young woman was very attractive, a maiden that no man had known. And she went down and the servant said to her, please give me a little water to drink from your jar. And she said, drink my Lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. And when she finished, she said, I will draw water for your camels also. And they finished drinking. So one way to look at this story and what happened was that, you know, Abraham's servant walks up and he's thinking, I got to I gotta find a wife for this guy. And what kind of a woman am I looking for? So he said, God, let it be the woman who shows kindness and generosity towards me. So there's kind of two ways to look at the story, right? On the one hand, we talked about earlier, had God's hand not been in it, it would have failed, right? There would have been no hope for him to be successful in this. But on the other hand, he was walking in freedom and strategically thinking, how am I gonna find someone that would make a good wife? And he said, I'll wait for the woman who offers me kindness and generosity at the well, that woman is the one who will make a good wife for my servant's son. So God gives us this freedom to operate in. And so let me just give you this as an application that if you're in a time of transition, that you've got a big decision in front of you, and all of us come to those moments in our lives, this story shows how your faithfulness and what has been revealed in God's sovereignty work hand in hand. Because on the one hand, this, this, this story would have never come together, right, if not for God's hand. We talked about that. But it also would have not come together if Abraham's servant would have said, yeah, that ain't gonna work. I'm just gonna go over here and sleep for a few weeks and come back and tell him I tried, but no luck, right? It also not would have worked there, right? And so those two things go hand in hand. And so when you're in the middle of a situation where you have a big decision to make, the, the, the advice I would say that we get from the scripture is be faithful in what's revealed. Like when you don't know what's gonna happen, you don't know who that person's gonna be or what that job's gonna be or what that next step is gonna be, focus on being faithful with the things God has clearly put in front of you. Be faithful in the revealed things and trust that as you do that, as you're faithful in what you do know, that God will work out and orchestrate and guide you into the things that you don't know, into the things that aren't a clear yes and no, right and wrong, black and white decision. That God would allow us and use our, our faithfulness as part of how he works things together for our good. I love the way that same commentary, commentator put it in regards to the freedom God gives us. And he said this, that these guys were acting responsibly in anticipation of God's faithfulness. Acting responsibly in anticipation for God's faithfulness. So if you've got, you're looking for a new job, you're looking for someone to marry, trying to make a big decision, act responsibly in anticipation of God's faithfulness. Like, I didn't know how, how God was going to provide this woman, right? Probably felt like he was shooting in the dark. But he was as faithful as he could be and trusted that God in his sovereignty would help things work out the way they were supposed to work out. And then the fourth thing that God is to us as a shepherd, the fourth thing he gives us is he gives us peace. We were, uh, we were having a discussion in my small group a few weeks ago in regards to this idea that God gives us freedom, but he's also in control. Um, and uh, we're talking about just the idea of being anxious about things that we need to get done, but trying to trust God in those things. And it seems like anytime there's a conversation about that, there's, there's almost like you feel this tension between, man, 
Let's just, let's just suppose it's someone looking for a job. Like, man, I've got to get out there. I've got to find a job. I just, I just got fired. I've, I've got to find this. But then they say, but man, I really want to trust God with this, right? I, I don't want to lean on my own understanding for this. I want to put it in God's hands. I want to trust him. I was like, what does that mean? Does that mean I just like sit and wait for someone to call? How do those two things work together, right? Trusting God, but then trying to be faithful to my part. And the kind of a phrase that came out of that that night is that the work is ours and the worry is God's, right? When it comes to a decision, when it comes to an action, something that needs to happen, there is work to be done on our part. Just like Abraham's servant, man, there was work to be done. He had to travel, he had to think of a plan, he had to look, he had to watch, he had to make a a very long speech, right, um, about what had happened. There was a lot of work to be done on his part, but all the while he was trusting God and not burdening or worrying himself with the results. And when we do that, there's a peace that comes with that, that even in the midst of a difficult thing where there's work for us to be done, we can have a peace knowing that we're gonna do everything, we're gonna be as faithful as we can on our part. We're gonna engage the work and the task that God has given us with everything we have, but let the worry be on God that we're gonna work hard, we're gonna press into it, but we're not gonna worry about it. Ultimately, we're gonna have a peace about it. You can apply that to anything. A church building, for instance, right? We're gonna look, we're gonna try to find a place, but we're not gonna, we're gonna trust God in the midst of it too, right? We're not gonna get so stressed and so worked up that we can't sleep at night because we know that we can trust God in the midst of that search. Same for a job, spouse, a loss of income. I thought about this as I was preparing. I had some of these similar thoughts the last couple weeks. Um, man, it's so easy to find our peace in things other than God when things are going well, isn't it? Let me just ask you this question for you to answer hypothetically here, where do you find your peace? Like, what, what is it that allows you to lay your head down on your pillow at night and say, we're okay, we're okay. Things are good for us, things are gonna be fine, things are okay, we're, we're in a good spot, or at least we're gonna be. What allows you to do that? So I'll, I'll be, Fully transparent with you, as a, as a small business owner, there's a pretty direct correlation between that and our sales, <laughs> right? Like a lot of times, what allows me to relax and rest and have peace at the end of the day, what, a lot of times what I run to for that is how well our sales are going. And I'll check that at night, I'll look at things, and I'll, I'll try to find my peace and my comfort in that. And I was, I was caught myself doing that a couple weeks ago, and it just kind of, it just kind of hit me that, that God was like, who are you going to run to when that number goes down? Who's still going to be there? Jesus is our only anchor. He is the only one who remains steady and holds us up when everything else crumbles and falls away. I can point to three or, three or four things in my life that I can find peace in. There's that, there's how things are going at IGO, my other job, how things are going here at the church, how my kids are behaving. No one of those things will sustain me if everything else crashes. Not one of them. But Jesus will. 
There is no anchor like Jesus. There is nothing in our lives, there's nothing in this world that will allow us, if all those other things crumble and go away, to have a peace, to have a trust, to have a rest, knowing that no matter what happens, I'm known and love my creator, that he is there for me, and because of him, everything else can crumble, and I'll still be okay. Because he's good and he can sustain me. I wanna close by reading that full psalm Psalm chapter 23, then we're going to pray and take the supper. Psalm 23 says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I hate to interrupt that, but think about my kids feeding Pickett with a hawk sitting up there, and Pickett just relaxes and eats because he knows he's protected. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. With God as our shepherd, there, there is a peace that surpasses understanding. There is a peace and a comfort in the midst of any situation that nothing else in this world can provide. Let's pray. God, thank you for being our, our shepherd, for caring for us enough to protect us, even at great cost to yourself, for giving us the power and the potential to accomplish the work you've called us to, for giving us freedom, and for giving us peace, knowing that no matter what's going on around us, you're with us, and at the end of the day, that's all that matters. Thank you for being that good. That good that, that we can say that about you. That if everything else crumbled, you would be enough. Pray that you would help us to ch treasure and cherish you, even when it doesn't come down to that. That we would lean to you and find our peace and seek our peace and our comfort and our joy in you, even when those other things are going well. Christ's name, amen.